The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, today we are starting a new series called Multiply, and uh, we, we've yet to take down our decor from our, our previous series, but let me just say this. If you've already taken down your Christmas decorations, you can judge us. If not, just keep to yourself, all right? Uh, we'll get there. Carrie Carrie's back, so I'm sure things will happen. Um, so we uh, started this new series called Multiply, and we're going to be skipping through the book of Acts. We're going to be kind of just looking at the overall narrative arc of, of Acts and, and seeing the stories in there. And this is, this is why we're doing it. The, the book of Acts gives us a glimpse into the launch of the church. That Jesus Christ came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again, and then he sent his followers out with the good news of who he is and what he did, and this is what happened. This is the first 30 years of the church. And so the book of Acts is a historical book. And of course, the, the whole reason we read history is to learn from it, right? You see what to do and what not to do from the past. And so what we're going to see in the book of Acts is what it is to be church, how to do church well. We're going to see the pitfalls to avoid. We're going to see the areas where we need to grow. And I'll just show you my cards here. In particular, my, my hope for us as we go through this series is that we actually, uh, each of us gets a fuller picture of what God's called us to specifically here at our local church, uh, Acts Church Leander. And so just as we get started, let me just lay out for you real quick what our, our mission and vision is as a church. Uh, first of all, our mission, we'll have it up here, is to uh, send changed people into a changing world. Our vision, how we plan to do that, is to multiply followers of Jesus, multiply leaders within the local church, and then multiply churches within the Austin area. And so, so that's what we're about. Now, if I were to put that even more succinctly, I'd say our, our end goal as a church really is to be a community of people sent out into our world, advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. At the bottom line, our goal is to be a people sent with the gospel. Now, why do that? Why is that our end goal? So I have here uh, a stack of business cards. And uh, I want to tell you, they're not mine. I mean, I got them. They're mine, but they're not my name. Um, and I want to tell you how I got them. Uh, when I first got here, when I first moved here, I remember I sat down uh, in my home office. Uh, I had a home office then because I didn't have kids. And uh, now I don't have that and a lot of other things. Uh, and so I uh, sat down, and, and I drew three concentric circles. And, and in the, the center circle, I wrote Axe People. I was, I was training at a church, Axe Church Lakeway down the road here. And I was like, i got to get to know the people here. i got to meet them and get to know what they're about. Then the next circle out, I wrote Ministry and Nonprofit Leaders. And I said, i got to know the other people in this area that are, are doing similar work to, to what I'm doing and what I'm going to be doing. And then the next circle out, next bigger one, I wrote Civic and Business Leaders. i got to know the people in our community, in our city, that are the movers and shakers here that, that are leading the way. And then I got to work, and I said, i got to start meeting all these people. And so I sent out emails, made phone calls, met with as many people as I, have, as I could, and that's where I get this nice stack of business cards. Uh, and so, so I, I hang on to it to remind me. But I, I loved it. I, I would sit down with people, and I'd talk to them. My whole reason for meeting with folks uh, was, was to cast the vision for them, was to share with them this dream of Acts Church Leander. And, I, and I'd try and paint this picture for them. I'd say, hey, yeah, we want to start this church, and it's a church that doesn't just exist for itself, but it exists to be sent into the world for the sake of the world. And we're just really excited. We want to get this new church up and running. And every time I'd sit down with people, I'd get the same question. Why? Why? Why would you start a new church? Why start a church that's focused on being sent? Why do that? 
The beautiful thing is, I think our text today answers that question uh, pretty well, pretty convincingly. And, and here's what we're going to see. Why be sense? We're sent for, for these three reasons. Because the gospel is real, because the need is real, and because the time is now. Why be sent? Because the gospel is real, the need is real, and the time is now. So let's get into it. The gospel is real. Look with me at the first few verses in our text. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. All right, so this is uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, and as Pastor Barrett mentioned, uh, Acts is really the, written by the, the gospel writer Luke, who wrote the, the Gospel of Luke, and this is really Luke part two. And in both the beginning of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of Acts, uh, he addresses this guy, Theophilus, uh, and, and most scholars would say that Theophilus was probably this guy who, who maybe contracted Luke or who paid Luke and said, hey, a bunch of crazy stuff's happening. What's the deal? What's going on? Would you mind compiling a history of what's happening right now uh, so that I can see it? And so he, he contracts Luke to do that, and, and, and that's what Luke does. And it's really important for us to notice that. And here's why. Because what Luke is trying to do here is he's trying to say, this is history. This is something big that has happened. And we see this especially in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to have this uh, pulled up here too. Just look with me at what Luke says at the beginning of, of Luke chapter 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I'll point this out because I, I want you to see what Luke is doing here. What he's doing with the, the book of Luke and for our purposes for the next few weeks, uh, the book of Acts. Look at what he says. He says, I, I want to compile a narrative of what's been accomplished among us. He says, I, I've talked with eyewitnesses about these things. I've, I've talked with people what's going on. I've followed these things very, very closely. And now I'm putting it all together in an orderly account. In other words, Luke is saying this. He's saying, listen, this isn't a myth. This isn't some tradition that just sort of developed over centuries by words of mouth. He's saying, I'm not exaggerating things here. He's saying something incredible has happened, and I, I wouldn't believe it except that it's happened, and I'm recording history right now. That's what Luke's saying. And see, this is important to a couple of different people. First of all, it's important to people who are not Christians. And here's why it's important to that. For the non-Christian, uh, it goes like this. I, I was talking with a guy uh, a couple months ago, and I sat down with him, and he said this to me. He said, Gabe, I'd be okay with Christianity, but all those powerful white guys got a hold of the Bible and messed it all up and made it fit their agenda when they wrote the King James Version in the 17th century. Now, I ignored the fact that Christianity emerged out of the Middle East, that now the majority of Christians live in the global south, and so if you were to ascribe Christianity to an ethnicity, it wouldn't be white people, all right? I ignored that fact, okay? Ignorance there, it's fine. Uh, but then I said this, I said, bro, first of all, like, we have copies of the complete New Testament 1,300 years before the King James Version. Like, that's just silly. I said, but 
if you want to insist that the original writers of the New Testament wrote it because they had an agenda, I've heard that argument. Let's go there. Let's go there. I'd agree with you that maybe they wrote it for their agenda. If their agenda was to face persecution and die horrific deaths, right? If that's their agenda, they nailed it, buddy. Knocked it out of the park. But I'd argue, actually, it makes a lot more sense that they wrote it because something actually happened. Makes a lot more sense that something actually happened that completely shifted the way they engaged the world. Makes a lot more sense to me. And this is what Luke is saying. He's saying, listen, something happened. I'm telling you, the stuff that I've seen and heard, it really happened. But here's the second group of people it's important to, to understand this about the book of Acts. It's for the Christian. See, I don't think most of you here this morning are like, uh, the Bible, I can't really trust it. It's not really reliable. I don't really believe in, in much of it. I don't think that's most of you here this morning. But what happens to us as Christians is we tend to sentimentalize the Bible. We tend to kind of treat it as this sort of hyper-spiritual thing that's over here, and we fail to recognize the deep reality of it. And so right off the bat, Luke wants us to see that everything that occurs in the book of Acts flows from the reality that Jesus Christ actually lived, that he actually died, that he actually rose from the grave, that the the gospel events actually happened. I mean, look at verses 3 to 5 in our text. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so what Luke says here, he says, hey, listen, Jesus actually rose from the dead. If you don't believe me, you can check. He presented himself to all sorts of other people. That's what he says in verse 3 there. Check with all of them. But then he goes on. He says, and now he sends his Holy Spirit. He says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here's why that's important for the Christian. He sends his Holy Spirit so you and I cannot just know that it's a historical reality that he died and rose again was that you can know that Jesus died and rose again for you. That's not just an abstract truth, but it's a truth that's true for you. That it's for your sake. That the gospel is real. That these events actually happened. And that if you believe these events actually occurred for you, that Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for your sins and for the sins of the whole world. And that he rose again three days later that you might know God and have new life and life everlasting with him. If that's true for you, if you believe that to be true for you, that's only because the Spirit of God has come into your life and worked that faith in your heart. See, the gospel is real historically, and it has real power for those who believe in it. The gospel is real. And see, if you get that, then point two just makes sense. If the gospel is real, then the need to be sent is real. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. Jesus and his disciples are talking and says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the disciples ask Jesus, they say, hey man, now that not you've risen from the dead, you've gone through your suffering, they say, hey, are you now going to set the world right? Are you going to now, are you going to make things the way they're supposed to be? Are you going to do that, Jesus? And Jesus says, hey man, don't worry about that right now. Yeah, I'm going to fix everything one day. I'm going to come back. We're going to take care of this mess. It's going to happen. But he says, in the meantime, I've got a job for you. In the meantime, I've got work for you. He says, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so right here, Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you out as my witnesses to testify about me to all people everywhere about what I've done and about who I am. He says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to advance my gospel. You're going to spread the good news that God's grace is for all people at all times in all places. And then Jesus lays out his own concentric circles. Right? He says, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem being sent to people that were like them culturally and near them geographically. And then he says, I'm going to send you to Judea. People that were like them culturally, but a bit of an expanded geographic area. And then he says, I'm going to send you to Samaria, people that were near them geographically, but way different from them culturally. And then he says, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth, people that were not like them culturally and lived very far away from them geographically. See, friends, this is Jesus' plan. His plan is to send his church out to tell the entire world who he is and what he's done. This is his plan for his church. Like, this is why the church exists. To be sent out and advance the gospel. We exist to be sent into the world. See, the gospel is meant to flow from the innermost parts of our heart to the outermost parts of the world. It flows from the innermost parts of our heart to the outermost parts of the world. But this doesn't always happen, does it? Right? It doesn't always happen. Now, why is that? Well, there's a bunch of reasons. I want to go through three real quick this morning, all right? First one, first reason why the gospel doesn't always flow from our churches or from us as individuals is what I'd call sectarianism. The way that works is either churches or people within the church, what we do is we build really high walls for people outside the church. And we kind of live with this us versus them mentality. And we say, hey, that's the big bad world out there. If they want to get in, they got to jump through like these 10 different hoops. But otherwise, they're just, let them burn. They're just going to stay over there. Let's hunker down in our corner. We'll slap the adjective Christian on everything. And we'll just wait till Jesus comes back. Right? That's sectarianism. And it's completely ineffective. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you have what I'd call conformity. Conformity. This is why the gospel doesn't go out in this one. That's this idea of this. Hey, the culture is changing. Things are different now. And so, hey, let's just embrace all the values of our culture. Let's just bring them in and give them a big squeeze. Doesn't really matter what Scripture says about sexuality. Doesn't really matter what Scripture says about how I use my money. Doesn't really matter what Scripture says about Jesus being the only way to salvation. No, 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 no. Let's just be nice to people and have a big hug. We wouldn't want to offend anyone with the truth. Okay, let's not do that. That's conformity. And it renders the church impotent. It's useless. Third reason why the gospel doesn't just flow from the churches and from our lives. It's just part of the air we breathe. It's part of the water we swim in. It's consumerism. Right? And see, the way consumerism works in our culture is we say this. Where can I go to get the most of something 
while giving the least? Where can I go to get the most of something while giving the least? And I gotta tell you, that is just fine when you're shopping, right? That's great, man. I love Amazon. I love Target. All those little knickknacks, it's great, okay? So good. But consumerism is an absolute cancer in the church. It is absolutely destructive. See, consumer Christianity says this, hey, I'll commit, I'll be a part of something as long as my needs are met. As long as things go the way I want them to, I'll stick with it. But the second I'm challenged, the second I'm pushed out of my comfort zone, the second things don't go the way I want them to, I'm out. I walk away. See, consumer Christianity is always saying, what can the church do for me? Instead of asking the question, what can I do to help the church further the gospel in the world? Sectarianism renders a church ineffective. Conformity renders a church impotent. And consumerism renders a church exasperated. Now, I say all that, and the reality for our church, uh, while we're certainly not perfect, uh, so far these are not major issues for our church. Like, if we're just honest, it's, just, it's not a major thing for us. Uh, but I am sure that each one of you, as I went through that list of three, you're probably like, oh, I see a little bit of me in there, I see a little bit of me in there, a little bit of me. and that's good. That means you're being honest. If you didn't, you should be honest. And then what we do from there is we repent. We move on. Okay? But the reality is, for so many people do so much for this church to, to make it what it is, these, these really aren't huge issues for us yet. And so you say, why bring them up at all, Gabe? Why bring them up at all? Because the reality is we've got to fight against them. We've got to fight against these tendencies in our own hearts. And we've got to set ourselves up organizationally so that we keep focused on advancing the gospel because the need is real. And so for those of you that have uh, suffered through our new member class, uh, you've also gotten to hear my we, uh, good idea and great idea speech, right? And so for those of you that haven't endured that yet, you get to endure it now. Um, so at Acts Church Leander, it works like this. Uh, we don't do good ideas. We only do great ideas. We don't do good ideas. We only do great ideas. And here's how that works. Uh, a good idea goes like this. Someone comes up to me and they say, hey, Pastor Gabe, I've got a good idea. Got a good idea, man. Red flag someone should take our youth on a mission trip. I say, oh, that is a good idea. That's a really good idea. Too bad we don't do good ideas. We only do great ideas. Hey, you know what would be a great idea is if you got together with a few other people and you led our youth on a mission trip. That would be a great idea. Let me know how I can support you. Do, do we see the difference here? Okay, right? Good idea, great idea. And here's why this is so important. God didn't just call me to advance the gospel. Every single Christian is called to be on mission where God has placed them. Every single Christian is called to advance the gospel where God has them. And then we as a church support each other on mission. And so here's what that looks like. When, when a professor wants to host a public conversation about cinema and religion, about faith and, and, and the culture, we want to support him. We want to come around that. When a lady at our church wants to feed hungry people in our community, we put together a monthly calendar and bring in donations to help people out. When a mom is really involved in Girl Scouts and she wants them to be a part of our sending activities, we say, hey, come on, bring them in. High five, let's go. And I could go on and on with the things that you folks do where we support each other as we're sent out. 
The gospel is real. The need to move it forward is real. And so God uses all of us to do that. Now, I say all that, and someone says, like, really, Gabe? Really, like, like, like the need to advance the gospel is real? Like, look where we live. This is central Texas, bro. Like, do we really need more Jesus out here? Yes, we do. Point three, the time is now. Look with me at verses 9 to 11 in our text. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I love the image this text brings to mind, right? Like Jesus is standing there and, and he's got his boys here and, and he just lays out the, the command form, says, hey, you guys will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you guys get going, get going. And then he floats away up into heaven and they're watching him float up. And they're just standing there staring up at the sky. And then two angels show, show up and say, what are you guys doing? He told you to get going. Why are you just standing here staring at the sky? You got work to do, homie. It's time to go. The time is now. And it's true for us too. The time is now. Here's what I mean. Uh, so our director of worship arts, uh, Tanner Evans over here, uh, came over to my house on New Year's Day and helped me build a breakfast nook. Uh, and by helped me build a breakfast nook, I mean he did almost all the work and I just tried to stay out of his way. Uh, but, but while we were working on that together, he shared with me uh, his exciting New Year's Eve escapades, uh, which were significantly more exciting than mine. Uh, I stayed home and watched three episodes of House of Cards and went to sleep at 10.30. Uh, but he, being the young buck that he is, was out at a party. And, uh, and so he's there, and he told me while he was there, he, he started talking with a, a couple around a campfire. And they were talking about Jesus and faith and, and all this good stuff. And, and he actually got the opportunity to, to share the gospel with him. Uh, and he didn't. He, and he just laid it out there. And he said, hey, you know, I, I believe we're, we're all born sinful that there's something broken in us as people that we can't fix, and that there's actually a rift between the good God who created everything and all of humanity. But God, in his grace, sent his son Jesus to this earth. He went to the cross. He paid the price for our sin. And so now, those of us who trust in him, and we were restored back to that relationship with God, we can know his grace, we can know his love, we can know his forgiveness and his acceptance. And so Tanner shares this with this couple. And do you know what they said to him after he shared that with him? They said, that's a very offensive message. It's a very offensive message. He said, you're saying I'm a sinner? You're saying that I need to be saved? That's offensive. Now, if you know Tanner, he's like the nicest guy in the world, right? Like he just is. He's gentle as you can get, right? He'll let you pet him. He's just, he's so nice. Uh, I mean, and like, in fact, he, wa he wasn't even like a Christian until he was 17. So if anyone's going to be culturally sensitive to advancing the gospel, it's going to be him. But guess what? The, gospel, the cross is still offensive. The cross is still a stumbling block. It's just true. And the reality is, any of the numbers tell us that that offense is only going to grow. I just did some research this week. 2007, Pew Research said, uh, reported that 78% of people in America would self-identify as Christians. 78% of people in America. 2015, that number has dropped to 
Okay, so that's a 7% decrease of people that would say they're Christians in America. And Pew and others have attributed that 7% decrease to a 7% increase in people who would say they are non-religious or called nuns. Not like nuns rocking the cool hat, but nuns. Uh, and, and it said that non-religious folks, nuns, in 2007 made up 16% of the population. That bumped up to 23% in 2015. And Pew attributed those growth in numbers to the fact that the millennials, folks who are aged 18 to 34, have now become the largest generation in the United States. And 35% of millennials, folks aged 18 to 34, 35% of them identify as non-religious. So that's over a third of the largest generation in our country identifies as non-religious. And any projections I saw show that that's only increasing in the years to come. You say, all right, well, that's national. All right, fine, let's bring it in home. Depending on who you read, there's an average of about 110 people that move into the Austin area every day. And uh, we know statistically that about 18% of Americans are regularly connected to a local church. 18% regularly connect to a local church. So that means that 20 of the 110 people that are moving into Austin every day, are, they're coming in and they're looking for a church. They're saying, hey, I'm going to find a home, I'm going to go to a place, and, and I'm going to connect some people there. That means 90 people move into this area every single day who are not connected to a local church. Don't really have an interest in doing that. On top of that, let me just lay this number out there for you. For every 10,000 people in the United States, there are 12 churches. This is the national average. For every 10,000 people in the Austin area, there are four churches. See, friends, this is why we say the time is now. This is why we multiply. This is why we invest money and time and people in starting new churches, because new churches reach new people. We've seen it happen. That's why some of you are here this morning. And so in the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear from Adam. You're going to hear from Pastor Barrett. And they're going to share with you visions that they have for churches that they'll be planting in this next year. And as they do that, some of you are going to feel really compelled to pray for them and stay right here at Acts Church Leander. And that's fine. Please do that. But please pray for them. And some of you are going to hear their visions. You're going to feel compelled to give to them and stay right here at Acts Church Leander. That's fine. Please do that. But there's going to be some of you where the Holy Spirit is just going to poke on your heart again and again and again. And he's going to say, you're going. And he's going to call some of you to go and plant with Barrett or Adam. And if that's the case, please do it. You go with our full support. You go with our full blessing. The time to multiply is now. It's scary. It's hard, right? I lose sleep over it. Poor little Adam hasn't slept in three months, right? But guess what? In this text, Jesus doesn't just give us a command. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, here's the job. Get going. No, 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 no. Jesus gives us a promise. He gives us a promise with that command. Look with me at verse 8 again. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, Jesus ascended into heaven, but he didn't leave us. He didn't leave you. He sent his Spirit into you to empower you to do the work that he's called you to do. 
And see, the reality is it's only by the Spirit of God that any of us know him, that any of us have come to the faith, and it's only by the Spirit of God that our community and our city and our world will know Jesus. And so Jesus has sent a Spirit into each one of you. My prayer for you is that you'd be empowered by his spirit to advance the gospel where he's called you to. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your word. It encourages us. It challenges us. It opens our eyes. God, I just pray for my friends here that that your spirit would be at work in their lives, that they'd be empowered to know where you've placed them, to know what it looks like for them to be on mission for you. But God, most of all, I pray that we would continue to know more and more your grace for us in Jesus, that we wouldn't try to earn any favor with you, but we'd know we're fully embraced, fully accepted, and fully loved by you. Teach us to rest in that today and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.